Evening, everyone. Um, as you can see, I'm not Paul. I'm not Laura Daly. I'm Bonnie, and um, they've let me go a bit mad tonight, which is really cool. Um, I'm here with some fantastic people um, to talk about trans rights, which I think is quite apt after the Reclaim Pride March in London today. Uh, Northern Pride, which has been online all day, and tomorrow's Northern Pride continues and also Durham Pride next week. So for those of us who are in the Northeast, which I think is just me on our panel tonight, it's quite locally quite important for Pride this week. I'm absolutely delighted with the panel that we've got. Um, and, you know, for a start, we've got my good friend Casey from the same union as me. Uh, we've got Laura Miles and we've got Kane. I'm gonna let them tell, them, tell you a little bit more about themselves. But if you've got any questions or comments or anything, please do let us know. We, I am trying to keep an eye on it as well, on the comments. So please do post any comments into any comments on whatever platform you're watching. And do remember to share, 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 and like, like, like. Let's go. Let's see. Let's see how many people we can accidentally get watching this tonight. Okay, I'm going to start with Casey simply because I know Casey, and simply because I know how awesome Casey is. Okay, so Casey, would you like to tell our viewers a little bit about you? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying I'm not feeling that awesome, like in, <laughs> in lots of ways, because I'm just um, I, I was diagnosed positive COVID a few days ago, um, and I, I feel like I'm through the worst of it. Um, so, but, so who am I? I'm a I'm the LGBT plus executive seat holder for the National Education Union, um, and I and I and I guess. Um, one of the things that brought me to the union was me transitioning. It, it was a real worry that I had that when I transitioned in school, I'm a drama teacher in a secondary school, and I was super worried that it was going to be a nightmare and I would really need the union to have my back. So that, that was what got me more involved locally with the union. And, um, and actually there was amazing support and solidarity there. There was brilliant resources already in place um, with the union. Um, through the through the work of LGBT plus members before me, so actually I kind of needn't have worried, but um, that that has brought me to activism really. And I think the the trans question as a as a trans woman, the kind of the transphobia within the union within society has just gone so much at a pace since the point of my transition about four years ago. Like everything in the run up to the transition, everything felt like it was getting better. And then it's all turned to shit again. We're allowed to swear, aren't we? I think it's positively encouraged, Bonnie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, swear as much as you like. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so that's that's basically me, really. Um, brilliant. Um, who would like to go next? Shall we go to Laura? Just simply because you're next on my screen. <laughs> so, Laura, would you like to yep. introduce yourself? Yep, thanks, Fonny, and thanks for the invitation. Great to be on um, the same platform as Casey and Kane. Um, and I hope uh, I hope Casey's recovery <laughs> goes uh, goes apace because it is um, bloody horrible um, being diagnosed. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm Laura Mars. I um, I'm also in an education union, but a different union. Um, I'm I'm a member of UCU. Um, I'm actually retired now, but uh, I was the one of the two LGBT plus reps on the national executive for a number of years um, before I retired and worked with the um, LGBT, LGBT support standing committee. I chaired that committee and at, um, I also chaired the um, union's equality committee for a period as well. 
so my main kind of um, work, I suppose, has been in in the labour movement and particularly around kind of education. And um, I worked in further education, but teaching higher education at a Bradford College. It's a slightly odd situation, so I, I had a foot in both camps, really. Um, a bit like Casey, I, I transitioned, gosh, it must be 12 or 13 years ago now, and with some trepidation. Um, so I went away in... Um, in July as one person and came back in September as, as Laura. Uh, but actually, I, apart from one or two hiccups, I, I, I found, you know, the, the college, um, because I was kind of guiding them, to be honest, uh, was it was OK. And it was certainly OK with um, with the students. And um, obviously it was fine within the union as well. I had, you know, I had nothing but support, really, from uh, from the union. And again, like Casey, um, you know, I think, um, unfortunately, you know, things have escalatedly, in an escalating way, got worse, much worse, actually, over the past three, four, five years. Um, I, uh, Since I've retired, I, I've been doing quite a lot of writing and speaking. I wrote um, Transgender Resistance, which is this book here, um, available from bookmarks and other booksellers, I suppose. Um, and that was specifically around um, really sort of talking about um, a socialist response to what's happening and a socialist response to how we uh, protect trans lives and we defend trans rights and how we fight for liberation, um, specifically about liberation, because I would argue that it's not possible to win liberation within a capitalist society. We have to transform the society as with any other form of oppression. So the book was very much about kind of the history of trans resistance and current trans resistance around the world and how we how we develop that and take that, that forward and how we come up with a kind of Marxist understanding really of, of oppression in general, but trans LGBT oppression in particular. So that's kind of that's kind of me, really. Oh, brilliant. That, that sounds great. And I'll be honest, I haven't read your book yet, but it's definitely on my list of to buys. <laughs> but there's so many books on my list of to buys, you would think it was some holidays or something. Okay, uh, Kane, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, absolutely. First, thanks for having me on. It's uh, an honour to share the um, stage with, with everyone here, but more importantly, it's lovely. Uh, my name is Kane. I'm a professional climate campaigner. I'm an amateur gender freedom activist, and I am a full-time queer hot mess. Uh, my pronouns are they them. Uh, the bit that's got me here today, uh, I'm part of Transsexual UK's Legislative Review Panel, uh, where I've been mostly focusing on hate crime law, healthcare ethics, uh, and non-binary legal recognition. Uh, a lot of the work is also just monitoring and responding to the anti-trans moral panic that um, we are all unfortunately living through. Um, so that's, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of um, defensive posture, unfortunately, uh, in, in trans activism at the moment. Um, as for the rest of me, uh, I, I work mostly on the technical aspects of uh, climate change and the intersecting ecological crises uh, that, that humanity is facing. Um, I look at the technical aspects, I look at the practical aspects of what it means to transition to society from uh, in, in, in every, every part of it, from where it is to where it needs to be. So I look especially at the intersection with justice and, uh, and, and well-being of communities. I think we're fairly screwed. If we can't build international solidarity uh, and intersectional solidarity 
across communities and take that opportunity um, of the climate transition to sort of redesign our social and physical worlds. Um, other than that, I live in a little rented house here in London, where I'm coming to you from now, uh, where I struggle to maintain a garden and my sense of normalcy. Thank you so much. Wow. I, I just feel so privileged to be here chairing this, actually, because, you know, all three of you do such fantastic things. I know, I know, you know, I know more about Casey. I do have a couple of questions, which are really quite, start off quite general, because I know that our, our viewers will have questions that they will put in the comments, um, which I will try and keep up with. So, you know, this is Socialist Think Tank. And what we try and do is we always try and find out what socialism means to our guests. So just really quickly, and I know it's a massive thing, and I could probably talk for three hours on my own about what socialism is to me. I've done it before. Um, just really quickly, what does socialism mean to you? And I think this time I'll start with Laura, if you've got an answer that you can think of. Just really, just because and then that just gets that bit out of the way for our viewers. Okay, yeah. Uh, essentially, it's um, I guess it's a society characterised by production for people's needs and not, you know, for for profit. Uh, that's the kind of most straightforward um, definition. Um, you know, we live in a very quite a really quite a bizarre society actually that has fantastic production potential and, and actuality, but produces. You know, enormous amounts of waste and inequality and violence um, to people's lives, violence to their bodies, and so on. So for me, it's a, it's it's a society that is controlled from below by the working class, which is the vast majority of us, um, and which um, you know does um, allows the conditions, I suppose, for people to. I mean, we're talking about LGBT um, uh, sort of lives and 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 you know needs this evening i guess but allows people to express themselves as respect for their lives um doesn't try and control who we love who we who we live with who you know how we express ourselves gender wise or any otherwise as long as we're not doing any harm to anybody else i think that should be the kind of basis <clears throat> for a a sane society <laughs> one of genuine democracy you know I couldn't actually agree more because to me that kind of sums up what socialism is. A little, you know, it's very similar to what I think socialism is. Um, let's go to Kane now, and then I'll go to Casey next, last. Sure. Uh, well, I have a slightly sacrilegious answer in the first, but not the term I tend to use to identify myself uh, as someone generally floating around leftism. Um, with, with I'm, I'm more interested in deconstructing categories than uh, in in finding one which probably, yeah. probably uh, is rooted in me uh, but that said I effectively am doing a lot of different bits of socialism uh, in, uh, in, in my politics uh, all the time as well so the way in which I tend to think about socialism is the foremost uh, and the bridge into thinking about an alternative to the systems of power of production and ways of life, of relating to one another um, through everything from gender to everything else. A lot of it is hangovers from feudalism, colonialism, and the deeply incorrect racist, uh, misogynist assumptions uh, that were imbued into early capitalism at that time and have uh, now evolved into 
the situation we have now, which I don't think anybody would just make sense or is really particularly enjoyable, and just tiny majority, tiny minority that um, benefits in some way. And I think it's clear at this point that we're having to develop increasingly oddly about uh, minority groups to shift the anger and the awareness of what the intense problems are and give people something to be angry about other than the state of the world and the systems of power which maintain it in that way. Trans people are the current choice for that. Uh, like, uh, like, like those of us on the panel, um, I myself came out um, around shortly after the transgender tipping point and uh, slowly, slowly transitioned since then. I don't think I'll ever quite be done with that process. Uh, it's it's remarkable to have seen how quickly it's it's, it's arrived um, in 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 the UK and globally, and how clearly mechanistic it is as a as a tool of distraction, uh, how perfectly it fits into um, fits into our strange capitalist uh, at the same time deeply moralizing media and government. Definitely, and um, yeah, to I totally pick up on all those points. Um, just before I bring Casey in on that answer, it kind of reminds me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a cisgendered lesbian. You know, it's like, but it reminds. But I put off starting my teaching career because of Section Twenty Eight, and I can see the parallels. There are amazing parallels between what's going on now with transphobia and what went on then with homophobia. You know, it's to me, it's they're using the same tools. And the same creating that same moral panic you were talking about to kind of drive divisions and drive wedges and keep us all angry at each other, which is ridiculous. But yes, it, it is absolutely that. I, I I thought we were having a bit of a 90s moment culturally and in terms of queer rights, so I decided to bring that in my head. Well, that's what this is about the section 28 hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had some strange hairstyles <laughs> through the years, it's been fabulous. At the moment, I have a very boring normal hairstyle which isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, but never mind. Casey, what about you? Oh, thank you. I just, I just want to say, I mean, I, I love the idea that you, you asked Laura to sum up <laughs> socialism. Laura's written a book about socialism <laughs> from a trans perspective. And it's like, give us your book, Laura, in a, in a really quick <laughs> Yeah, in a really two-minute <laughs> And I also think Laura did that beautifully and also, also Kane as well. But like, I think for me, socialism is about equality like that that's that's at the heart of it that's what it's about you know and um and I grew up I grew up under under Thatcher years and actually you know don't know if I should say this out loud but you know my parents used to be Tories <laughs> my dad my dad died ages ago he wasn't a Tory when he died either but but that was the kind of you know they were kind of they were capitalist they were like you know oh yeah make money and be self-employed and that's what that's what they that's what they kind of did and so I grew up reading the Daily Mail and all of that kind of stuff and when I went to when I went to did A levels and we had a brilliant economics teacher, Mr. Edie, who was just an absolute legend, and he taught us. He, we went through the sort of capitalism and the command systems as it was, you know. And but those debates that we had that that completely changed my way of thinking about it. But it, and it was down to equality. It was about fairness. It was about saying how is it fair that a tiny group of people, um, you know, kind of send their kids to private schools and then all of this inequality just runs its way through. And that, and that was in a very basic A-level economics lesson, that, that kind of system, you could see how, how, that it's, how it's worked. 
And actually, like it's completely, it's completely got so much worse since then. You know, in those days, it was kind of more black and white about about Labour and Tory, and you used to get like shifting governments, and you kind of you knew who voted and how they voted, and you knew how that all worked. But now, when you end up with kind of you know that people people who are, who have nothing and have very little possibilities of of changing their lives and getting decent jobs are are basically you know saying oh I'll never vote for Jeremy Corbyn he'll screw the country up you know and, and what what element of it it wasn't the policies you know the policies they'd say oh the policies are it's going to mess every and actually we'd completely lost our way with with it all and I think the inequality that that is absolutely everywhere now and you know the trans debate is just one side of it really which is just so horrendous and totally unequal like it just doesn't it just doesn't work and you know I just I kind of I don't know really I'm a, I'm a socialist and I want things to be fair and I want things to be equal but I, but I kind of believe that that's what a lot of people want really but so why so why don't why can't we <laughs> I don't know you know I, I feel that that's where I am with it like I know I know how I want it to be and equality is at the heart of it I just can't we should we should have like an equal chance we should you know we should give help where help is needed we shouldn't be like you know breaking ourselves to work but you know I don't know I know that's a bit of a wandering worry really well it, it is it, it's one that we that gets talked about on Socialist Think Tank and on Political Unmuted, which is part of Socialist Think Tank, a lot about the way that the ruling elite, and I know Paul will probably, if he was on camera, he'd be, he'd be nodding now, the way that the, you know, the ruling elite only care about making money for themselves, and we're just there to make that money in, the, in this weird version of capitalism that we had, and we're easier to control if we're divided. And that's kind of my way of viewing it. And fun, there's, a, there's a comment from Leanne in the in the chat, which is right, you know, okay, so so Jeremy Corbyn wanted a fairer society, that's why he was attacked. But the thing is, I don't understand how people went for it. You know, why why do the people that, that would have benefited from Jeremy Corbyn's policies, why why did they listen to to all of the attacks? You know, and again, I think this is this is where we are with the transphobia. Why did why are people listening to it? Because that's not the experience on the ground. When people meet trans and non-binary people, they're generally, oh wow, that's you know, oh wow, that's really brave, or you know, oh you're brilliant, you know, and th and that's that's the experience you have of people. However, when they read all the rubbish that is being put around, that that's what they talk about. Sorry, <laughs> I I completely agree. That's a fascinating topic. Is sort of what what solutions do people require in order to keep going within the current system without realizing and stepping back and going oh shit no one would ever come up with this in a million years if they were actually uh if they were actually trying to think of something that would work for people that would support human well-being uh that would support communities and uh to do this that and the other uh, i'm always fascinated in the lies that people tell themselves in order to be um at the top of the system, all the lies they tell themselves to engage uh, in hunting down uh, the trans community uh, from whatever position in society they are, I think that's reasonably still fair to say. Um, I think I think there's a lot of lies people tell themselves, and I think it's always interesting to see what transphobia is doing for them in this situation. Uh, I, th I think it's doing a lot of different things for a lot of different people. I think that it's 
transphobia is very often a rhetorical tool used to break people's attachment to reality um, and, and doing so forth through any bullshit um, agenda you already have, which is why it gets taken up into all of these different areas, I think. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tool and it's useful to people. And I don't think that's a conscious choice. Uh, I don't think it needs to be. I think they're reacting to the um, the, the availability of, of a just about coherent in a conspiratorial, radicalized, uh, have to have to do a huge sense of suspension um, of disbelief in order to get there, but it kind of hangs together and it's got the resources and content to radicalize more people. So you can keep using this as a tool. And I think that's what we're mostly seeing. It's, uh, these very convenient delusions that allow us to um, maintain, maintain ourselves. Do you have anything to add to that, Laura? Yeah, uh, yes, I, I'll take those points that, that, that Casey and Kane are making. I, I mean, Marx said, didn't he, that, you know, the ruling ideas in any epoch are the ideas of the ruling class. Um, and so, and that, I mean, it doesn't mean they're the only ideas or whatever, there are, there are counter ideas as well, but those are the, the dominant ideas. And it's because a ruling class has at its disposal all sorts of means to propagate you know, an ideology that maintains their their power and their and their position. If you, you know, if you think about how I mean the family operates, and you know, in terms of heteronormativity um, and so on. I mean, even you know, there's that double-edged thing, isn't there, about LGBT rights, trans rights, and so on, which is, you know, we fight for the rights, but actually, in many cases, those rights are about um, fitting in, you know, assimilating to um, you know, to, to, to a system of heteronormativity, which it, if you're kind of, you know, if you're kind of a radical or a revolutionary is, is kind of not, not, not what we're really after <laughs> at all, is it? We want a completely, well, I do anyway, want a completely different sort of society. Um, so I think, I mean, I, 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 I get, you can get very frustrated, I think, with, you know, working class Tories you know I, I'm from the north I, I live in Wakefield Leeds you know Wakefield and Leeds and stuff and you, you know there's all this stuff about the red wall collapsing and, and people you know voting Brexit for kind of racist allegedly racist reasons but actually it's it's, it's a bit it's a bit more difficult to, to disentangle than something kind of straightforward and simplistic like that you know people people kicked back and they kick back but the real problem is where's you know where's the ideology coming from you know to that that, that we all have to kind of fight through and, and face and I, I'm sure we I don't know I don't know about you I mean I, I don't come from a socialist family um, you know, my mother was a kind of working class liberal. My father was almost certainly, although he never discussed what he voted, was a Tory. Although he came from a, you know, fairly, you know, he was a, he was a draftsman engineer, so he wasn't he didn't own a company or anything like that. But um, you, you know, it took me a long time to kind of break, you know, from the ideas of the family, the ideas that were wrapped up in imperialism. I spent years as a as an air training cadet and a combined cadet force cadet. I mean, five years, seven years, I was in that, singing the national anthem and all that that we had to do, and parading about and drilling and marching and whatever. And I was never okay with it, but I didn't understand why. And, and it took me a long time, not really till I came across organized socialists and I was able to discuss those things. Did I kind of break from them? So 
I think we all have to be quite careful about not pointing the finger at folk and saying, well, why, are people, why did people vote this way? And, you know, I'm sorry to say, I think it's a lack of leadership and resistance from Labour and it's a lack of leadership and resistance from our, you know, most of our trade union leaders as well. You know, if you look at the levels of strikes and resistance over the past you know, years, very, very low, historically really low in this country. And that's provided the space for some people on the left, actually, to, to see, you know, trans people as a problem, you know, so-called undermining women's rights, for instance, rather than seeing who the real enemy is, which is the Tories and, and who they represent, which is, you know, essentially the, the rich and powerful. I'm, I'm in danger of rambling. You should no, shut no, me up, Ronnie. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I'm a very hands-off chair. So, I mean, it's kind of the next thing that I had. Well, Ken, if you want to go, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to, to yeah. jump on there, which I thought was really interesting, I think there is... Um, apologies, I'm having a complete brain blank. Um, yeah. Uh, I was too distracted by having interrupted in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. No, it's gone again. Okay, I'll come back to you. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just jump in again. When... Okay, so I was thinking, you know, all of this is leading to this moral panic, and Laura's just touched on it, which is what's driving a lot of hate. This alleged conflict between women's rights and trans rights, and that moral panic, which I know... Even in our union, Casey, I'm quite prepared to say it. Even in our union is creating havoc by the views of a minority. I think we are winning. I think we've, we've got a lot of allies, a lot more allies now than we did before. But I think, as evidenced by some conference motions that we managed to get past, but it is there. And much as I would love to ignore it, it is there. And I don't know, has anyone got anything to say about it? Because I know what I think, but I think the world knows what I think. Um, but I'm, it's not my life. It's not my, you know, it's not my voice to have. It's, you know, so does anyone have anything to say about this ridiculousness, which is how I see it, that's going on? I think it's interesting to think about what transphobia does for people on the left. And yeah. I think a lot of what it is doing at the moment is enabling liberal, progressive um and her centre-left-ish sort of people to be able to espouse uh, socialist policies without being associated with the media construction of the loony left, which dates back to uh, the London GRA days, um, or rather whatever the um, body was called back then. Um, the LA. I'm getting, I'm getting my issues mixed up. <laughs> it's, it's worth, I think, uh, wondering what transphobia, uh, why why trans people are threatening to people, why people feel so threatened by transness and by by the society, the viewpoint that they think we represent, uh, which is very different from the viewpoint that any individual um, of us might bring into to the party. And there's a perception, I think, that we are the straw that will break the camel's back of um, this heteronormativity and patriarchy. Uh, it's worth remembering that for a large number of people, we've been in a, uh, they, they've been fighting to return to the 1930s and the 1950s, and they've been trying to return to the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, and that's always been the case. And they have always wanted to uphold this 
very rigid view of how people should relate to each other. And this has always been completely fundamental to capitalism. Uh, so it's particularly threatening, I think, both to people uh, for this reason of being a, a failing to be able to imagine a society uh, in, in, in which trans people exist and thrive and are respected that is compatible with the power that we have at the moment. Uh, in, in, in some ways, I think there's a, a, a subconscious um, recognition of that driving, driving some of this. Who would like to, who would like to jump in now? Has anyone else got anything to say around that? I'm happy to go on I think it is that the narratives are just so controlled that that's the problem. All, all of the media are transphobic now, you know, and that, and that's kind of quite often been the way for a lot of, of kind of marginalized people is that you would get most of the media would be, would be kind of using, following that kind of spin and targeting the marginalized people. But you would generally have some newspapers that wouldn't, like The Guardian, for example, might be might be a paper where you could get the more, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say the word liberal voices, because, again, like there's so many liberal and socialist people who are transphobic and are kind of key agitators in, in the kind of the panic and the hatred. But but that but that's the problem is that there aren't actually that many trans and non-binary people. There's more and more, which is amazing. And they're more visible. Yeah which is also amazing and it's going to change and it's going to change like there's going to be the, the trans tipping point hasn't happened the trans tipping point is going to take place in about 10 or 15 years when all of the kids who, who are kind of you know able to name their transness and non-binariness now when they become adults and they are visible and they are around and, the, and the, the generation of kids who've grown up with them that's when the actual transgender tipping point is going to take place but you know, there's people when people know trans and non-binary people. It's kind of like I said before, they realise that we're just the same as everybody else. You know, it's bit, my being trans is not the most interesting thing about me. You know, uh, but it's all I seem to talk about these days, and it's definitely all I think about. And that's in a negative way because, like, you know, I'm, I've, I post on my Facebook today that I'm finding it really fucking difficult to be transgender at the moment. And it's not about my friends. It's not about the people I love. It's just about it's about what it feels like to exist at the moment when, you know, the paper that I like, you know, the, the news that I watch, things like BBC and, you know, that I would trust are still doing ridiculous things. The arguments don't hold up. They just literally don't hold up that, you know, and it's just in every element of what of what they go on about. Nothing holds up. There's, there's you know, a gender critical book just been released with like four pages of references for a whole huge book that, you know, and, and they're really flimsy. Ref there's not anything, there's not anything kind of properly academic or scientific in the references. It's just rubbish that's so easily debunked. And it's reviewed in The Guardian as being like a weighty tome. Like it's not a weighty tome, it's full of rubbish. They propagate anti-Semitic tropes about, you know, dangerous cabals of people, transing people and doing it from drugs, you know, like, Estrogen tablets are one of the cheapest medicines around. They weren't invented for trans people. <laughs> they're, they're just, you know, nearly all of the medications for trans people weren't invented for trans people. They just realized that they had, they had different uses. Puberty blockers for trans kids weren't invented for trans kids. You know, they, they just realized that they could use them and so that they were never invented. They were never, these medicines were never researched and created for trans people. God forbid that would ever happen. You know, where would we be if trans people were actually having medications created for them? You know, but 
all, all of the arguments fall away and, you know, and, and don't stand up to any scrutiny. However, there's not enough trans people to be making the points. And if, if all of the editors and the, and the journalists are not, are not hearing those arguments and are doing, you know, are they, are they stupid? Are they doing it on purpose? Are they, being, are they being like told what to write? Like any of these things could be true. And that's what people are going to, going to see and hear. And then there's too many people who allow these conversations to just be said. You know, like I've got so many friends again don't have many anymore actually but i've got so many people that i know like i can i can go to a facebook page like in my local area coventry for for like for transphobes like i'm not i'm not going to call them turfs i'm not going to call them gender critical they're transphobes that's what they are they're, and there's a there's a transphobes group for coventry the first is supposedly it's for women's rights the first two points on there are both about trans women sorry like is that really the most pressing issues for women no it isn't there's all kinds of issues for women that they don't, you know, that go down their list. But I can see on that group, I've, I've got like so many friends of mine are connected to people who like that group. Like why, you know, what do, do the people not realize? And I, and I don't know if that's the case. Like are, are the cis people that I know just don't really pay attention to what people are looking at and liking and posting or reposting? Or is it that they don't really care, that they don't mind having somebody who's transphobic as their friend, but if they had a racist who was their friend, They'd make like the specials, AKA, and they'd both, that would be the time for the friendship to end, and they'd boot them out the door, and rightly so. If we had, you know, I would, I would say actually, if we had an ableist friend, but actually, that that's like also similar. And sadly, we have, we do have racism <laughs> that we tolerate. But the the difference is with transphobia and the ableism and the racism is actually that the transphobia is overt and very clear and out there, and the racism that we tolerate in our friends is the kind of you know, the structural kind that, you know, they perhaps might not realise precisely. Yeah, I feel like a right soapbox moment there. It was a fantastic soapbox moment, Casey, and um, the love you're getting from the comments is just amazing. So thank you to all the viewers. I, I know that most of the Socialist Think Tank viewers and members are all fantastic allies and they just need to and kind of, we just need to know how to be better allies. That's what we need. You know, we need that. And, you know, we can't, we need your help in working that out. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Can I come in? Then? Of course that... you can, Laura. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I agree with, 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 with all, all of that, what, you know, Casey said. And, and I mean, Casey's angry, clearly. And, and I think all of us are angry um, because, you know, we, we are facing what is for many people, you know, it's it's damaging and it is life threatening um, for you know for trans people and for people considering, you know, not necessarily even if they're considering transition, but just to be who they are. You know, it makes it less likely that they'll come out. So uh, you know, and it, it's so it is so dangerous. I I think you know what we're after is is kind of it is it's solidarity, isn't it? It's it's people taking the time and trouble who are not trans and not faced directly by, you know, the, the, the maliciousness and um, harassment and so on, to take, take a bit of time to kind of think about the issues and, um, and, and read stuff, you know, from, if you like, from our side that points out that there, there is no evidence at all, for example, that, um, you know, that trans women are a threat to women in single sex spaces, in toilets, bathrooms, changing rooms, prison or whatever. There's no evidence for this, you know, and even if, I know I've said this many times, you know, in different platforms, but even if there was, there was a case or two or whatever of, um, 
uh, of trans women, you know, uh, attacking cisgender women. Actually, we wouldn't endorse saying, oh, well, there you are then. That's the case for all trans women. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't say that because, you know, somebody who is black attacks somebody, that all blacks do that, would we? I mean, yeah, and yet it seems to be okay for transphobic people to sort of circulate those sorts of arguments and expect expect other people to kind of soak them up. Um, so, you know, uh, I, 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 do, I do think that, um, I think I, we're, we're a tiny percentage actually. I mean, it varies, who knows, but people talk about in this country, it's a fraction of a percent who have actually transitioned, a fraction of 1%. Probably one, maybe 2% of the population are, you know, um, non-binary and, and, and trans of, you know, some, some description. It's, it's really, really small. It's not like, you know, the proportion of women or, <clears throat> or black people or brown people or, or even disabled people, actually. Uh, and so there is a problem about getting voices heard, which the transphobes never have a problem with because they get their voices amplified by the press. You know, I mean, what did Kathleen Stock do, who got a, an OBE at the beginning of the year? Kathleen Stock, she's just written... I don't know if you were referring to that to Kathleen Stock's book. No, probably not. Kathleen well, Stock's Joyce, book. Ellen Joyce's one I was referring ah, to. Ah, right, yeah. Well, I don't know if you've seen Kathleen Stock's. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just as pernicious. Actually, I've read it. It is just as pernicious and nasty um, as, as the, the more crude stuff that comes out. But she used her acceptance speech... Um, uh, 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 you know, for having having been awarded a, an OBE, I think it was in the New Year's Honours, to to make a transphobic speech. She used that platform. Um, you know, she felt that was okay to do that, and she, you know, others of them are using their platforms in the media uh, to, to, you know, to do the, to do the same thing. And it is disappointing. It's disappointing. I mean, personally, I, I, politically, personally, I, I find it disappointing that some people I have known personally on the left are taking either equivocal positions or hostile positions, um, which is not to say, by the way, that, I mean, you know, to, to be honest, uh, there are sections of the left in this country and internationally which have traditionally taken really bad positions on questions of oppression, you know, whether it's women's oppression or, or uh, you know, um, anti-racism or particularly around sexual issues, particularly around um, you know, uh, issues of sexual orientation. You know, they've not seen it as part, it's not part of the class struggle, it's not part of the economic, you know, it's not, it's not about wages and conditions and so on. I mean, it is, actually. It is all about those things. As a matter of fact, it's about jobs and marginalised communities not being able to get jobs or, you know, or, or, you know, not being open to get those jobs in certain sectors or getting lower pays. It's all about those things. But there's a kind of tradition in, in kind of Stalinist and orthodox left politics, which has taken that position. And, and it's not new amongst, um, you know, radical feminists either. I mean, you know, they, they were excluding trans women or attempting to exclude them in the 1970s, you know, 50 years ago. So it's not new, but, you know, it is disappointing when people you've known come out of this stuff or won't take a stand against transphobia and won't do a basic socialist thing, which is to stand in solidarity with a marginalised and oppressed group of people, which trans people manifestly are. You know, that's what I find. And they enable these horrible ideological attacks from, from the right, you know, which are not just about trans people. Transphobia fits in really well, actually, with attacks on multiculturalism, you know, anti-Semitism, as Casey said, you know, there's... There are people, you know, there are 
folk who are posting really dodgy anti-Semitic tropes, which are not being called out by gender critical people or transphobic people, because they don't want to alienate somebody who's saying the same thing as them. And they're all enabling essentially very right-wing arguments about gender ideology uh, and, you know, transgender ideology and the transgender lobby. And we're all well-financed, you know, and, and, and uh, we're all, you know, we're all grooming um, young people, da di da di da And yet, as Casey quite rightly said, you know, uh, somebody can go to their GP and get a prescription for HRT, you know, which is, a, which is the same thing as the hormones, you know, cross-sex cross hormones, which, which trans people have to get a bloody diagnosis for, you know, for, and, and, and an approval from GPs and psychiatrists for. People can go and order and, and pay for bodily changing, body altering, you know, um, uh, procedures, which, which again, you know, we aren't able to do because we have to go through all sorts of gatekeepers. And it's, it's bizarre. Our final thing I'll just say is that actually, see, I think we're all, I think everybody's alienated um, in all sorts of ways. And, and I think being, you know, brought up in a system that values, you know, gender binary and heteronormativity and so on uh, is, is alienating for cisgender people as well. And, and for straight people, as well as, um, as well as gay people, even though it's, trans people and you know and gay gay people you know bear the brunt of that but we're, we're all constrained you know in the in the society in which we live in because it 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 makes us all kind of unhappy and alienated in one form or another and it's about how do we change the, the society to get rid of that you know get rid of that alienation um uh, yeah if, and just really quick to, to, to join on that, like if, if there is trans equality, if we win that fight for trans equality, every single person in the country is going to win by that victory. You know, when trans people have and non-binary people have, you know, have parity and have kind of acceptance in the world, everybody wins, every single one of us. I think it's important perhaps to say what we mean, because we use the term moral panic a lot um, in, in this show, uh, which you know, is, I think, an incredibly useful term uh, for to, to know, to understand. Um, I think it's really important to realise that this is not the first moral panic of this kind, it's not going to be the last, it's not even the only one which is currently happening of its kind. Uh, one of my favourite podcasts uh, is a show called You're Wrong About, which is basically a, a section of moral panic through the ages, uh, and they always, always, always follow the same pattern. It's the same structure. You find a marginalised community, you make up a way in which they are a problem, speculative potential uh, fear associated with them. Uh, you develop enough content in this that it starts to look vaguely reasonable to anyone who looks at it without much criticality, and especially that it's targeted when, uh, at, at people who would be very differently to most people and might require a bit of understanding um, to be able to fit them into your worldview, unless you're you know, a wonderful kind of person who just accepts people without worrying how they fit into their own personal worldview. I wish there were more people like that. I think it's 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 clear that that is very much what's happening, but it's not just about trans people either. Uh, this moral panic is being used as threat cover in the same way that previous ones had with very different policy goals. Uh, undermining abortion access uh, is absolutely a key goal of the anti-trans group. It's worth noting at this point that I would refer to TERFs, the radical feminists of it, 
they're, they're, they're not the core of the movement. They are the camouflage. They are the netting over it, trying to disguise a much more normal reactionary backlash from much more usual suspects. It's just words that they get to use because uh, when you're doing a moral panic, the first thing to do is use incredibly emotive things and always talk about protecting children. Usually, if you can portray the other people as predators, Children, whether they are Jewish, whether they are Catholic, whether they are Black. Uh, they, uh, the same pattern always plays out. Vulnerable, our children are vulnerable to them. Our, our legacy is vulnerable to them. Our, our whiteness is vulnerable to them. Our, our patriarchy is vulnerable to them. Uh, I think that is a really important thing to understand the dynamics of, and especially in the context of the UK, where we have a, a media institution, a media system, media ecosystem, which I would describe as the perfect engine for transphobia. Uh, there, there, there's a reason this is so much worse in the UK than everywhere else. There's a reason that um, the UK gets, again, I would say erroneously referred to as Turf Island, uh, that uh, our court cases are being cited in the horrific pools that are proliferating in the United States uh, that, that have already had so much devastating impact. Uh, I think it's, it's important to be conscious of how much of default of our media ecosystem, this is as a positive feedback loop, which takes in these conspiracy theories, spins them, and makes money off of just continually amplifying them. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth considering, like, why why that happens, and it's, I think, a swirl of factors. It's declining revenues, and they're just, uh, them trying to adjust to digital media, and they can't. There's huge amounts of panic. There is huge concerns about investments. Uh, there's reliance on creating outrage by clicks, and there is a complete erosion of moral norms around journalism, uh, which is horrific. There is obviously also in the UK media very small, culturally clicky groups of editors, uh, same and senior columnists as well. It's it's a not insignificant theory that a huge amount of this. Uh, the reason it's concentrated in the UK is because of how many um, transphobic Guardian writers went to the ladies' pond in Hampstead when it became an issue there in 2014-ish. Uh, who knows? But then we've also got the habit of people like the BBC to take an approach to balance, which is just both sides of them and still sees them uh, propagating climate denial in, in the year 2021, as if that were... <laughs> Somehow, somehow a reasonable position to still be taking in the name of balance. Uh, on the top of it all, trans transfer fits into a family of moral panics, which are seen in the UK and more globally, uh, cancel culture, academic freedom, critical race theory, and Black Lives Matter. All of these are connected in the way in which they're being delegitimized. Uh, the, the perspective from inside the trans community is it's very interesting. Uh, we, we see almost an obsessive focus on us for reasons that we can't comprehend so detached from reality. Uh, and I think it puts us in this sort of very defensive position. I, I want to start moving more, I guess, towards what does not even our liberation look like, to be honest. Uh, that will be a challenge for weeks from now, months from now, years from now, I think. At the moment, it's harm reduction uh, during this moral panic. It won't be forever. They, they find new targets, uh, and they always will. But if we also don't find a way to, A, survive this one, and B, deconstruct the system uh, of media and politics and power, which allows this diversionary tactic to keep going, uh, well, it won't matter, because then we won't have dealt with the climate crisis because we will have been too busy with the latest moral panic instead. These are the way in which power protects itself uh, and we need to 
really get under the skin and the bones and the mechanics of it to be constructed. The thing we have now that we've never had before is social media and a growing awareness of how this actually works. And I think that's such a key thing for uh, everyone to keep pushing on uh, because, well, one of the key things, isn't it? Sorry, my own little soapbox moment. <laughs> oh, no, that's absolutely fine. And really, really interesting. And one thing that I want to think about now, because I know that we've only got an hour tonight, and I'm saying that to the viewers, I know you guys, because I know that Kane has to get off somewhere else, is kind of what things could we campaign for? What positive campaigns can we use to... Because a lot of people, and I've found this, and Casey will tell me if I'm wrong, is that you can change hearts and minds of the people who don't really understand the issues. So you can change hearts and minds. And you can, you know, people who have heard all of these arguments from the transphobes, as Casey's calling them, you can have chats to those people. I used to work, before I was a teacher, I used to uh, deliver training for a local domestic abuse charity. And I used to deliver training around LGBT plus same sex and like all the domestic violence issues around that so I know the history and I know that you know what I mean so I've come from that background people think I'm a primary teacher and they, they talk to me like I'm like I know nothing about it but I did have a life before I was a primary teacher um, but you kind of like what positive things can we use what campaigns can we do what campaign we're very good at campaigning what can we do? To, what can we campaign for that would actively help and be a positive impact, create a positive impact? That's kind of where I'm okay, thinking. Quickly. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the most important things to remember is that very little of the information about what's currently happening to the trans community is in the public domain, mm -hmm. or at least not in reliable form. Uh, one thing we've seen is a complete breakdown in the media's ability to actually communicate what is happening uh, to trans people in ways which enable the movement and the community to respond. So firstly, it's really be careful where you're getting information from and think about it carefully. And the second reason I want to bring that up is because uh, the very obvious one is, is healthcare, but you might not know how obvious and, and how bad that situation is unless you're inside it and unless you're actually collecting information about it and I want to give a little example of this uh, earlier this year uh, UK ended provision of phalloplasty surgery the single provider of it in the entire healthcare system in the entire UK of the UK lost its tender they intend to reapply so they say we have no idea really intent what's going on um, it's thought that the waiting list is still in place but at no point were any of the people communicated with and in the meantime lost access, lost places, lost, and people are scared to speak out of it for risk of having their healthcare targeted, their healthcare access revoked because they spoke out about it. Uh, this kind of thing is deeply everywhere in a deep emergency and the kind of thing which would be the subject of national campaigns which would tell people how to help and how to get involved if it weren't for the fact that it's about trans people. Uh, it, there is always something going on. I, 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 I am asked a lot, like, what should we do? There are a lot of, I, I see a lot of trans people on social media who are a bit scared and not sure how to help. And I think joining with existing groups, working locally, working in your own institutions and your unions where there are issues and your workplaces where there might be issues, uh, anywhere such as that. And also remember that uh, it's not all about the people who hate us. Uh, I, I, one of the most important forms of activism is supporting other trans people. And it's, uh, in fact, going where the energy is and talking to people who are already a bit on your side, getting them really on your side. 
and, and, and helping them to actually do that. Uh, and the last thing is uh, stay away from social media and all the horrible things. This, this defensive posture is really unhealthy for the trans community. I think I think we are constantly bombarding ourselves with hate rhetoric and abuse rhetoric directly into our brains in order to stay informed. And I don't think that we should have to do that if there were um, more robust information systems and if we could rely on the media. At the moment, people feel like they do have to. They absolutely not. It's not useful. I imagine a better world and fight for that. Don't pay attention to what they are saying, honestly. Uh, um, uh, I think the, the model we need right now is the lesbian Avengers completely uh, unashamed. Their, uh, their, their motto was we recruit. Um, and I think that that is the kind of owning what's happening to us that we need to see. I think that's a very positive way to look at it. And I have about five toaster ovens, so I totally get it. Um, Laura, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I'm just coming in to back up what <clears throat> Kane was saying, really, to keep out the last point about social media, because it's, it is it is really frustrating and quite, I think, you know, emotionally damaging to, to, to believe as a trans, non-binary, whatever person that you can take on all the crap you know, <laughs> that you come across. I mean, I do take on some stuff, but I don't, I won't take on, you know, most of the stuff um, I, I, I see because it, it just leads you down a, a rabbit hole if you're not careful. And I think, you know, trans people in general are quite right to say, look, you know, we're not going to debate these issues. I mean, we wouldn't debate somebody who makes racist comments or anti-Semitic comments. We'd say you're a racist. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to unfriend you. Uh, I've done it today, actually, with somebody. I've unfriended them because they've made an anti-Semitic comment. Um, I, I'm not going to debate that with them. The same as I'm not going to debate my right to exist or, or the right of trans people to be, you know, and 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 to and to have a have a life. I, I make just a couple of other very quick points, really. I do agree with you, Vonnie, that. Sometimes it is possible to, to win arguments and win people over. I, I saw something on social media, I, I think it was Twitter, um, a Canadian, um, somebody else, other people might have seen it, but a Canadian um, a feminist who had actually founded a transphobic group who had argued with folk and been argued with and come across more information and just posted a, a tweet saying, I've changed my mind. Uh, I've, I've realised that I don't agree with you know, what, what I was saying a year ago. And all I can say is I'm sorry for the damage that I've caused. Now, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen on a widespread level, but actually it is possible, you know, for for that uh, to happen. Um, I, I think I, I think there are some grounds for optimism. I, I, my, my impression is that young people, by and large, have a different approach to, and, a, and a different sensibility towards... Um, you know, gender fluidity, different gender expressions and sexuality than certainly people of my generation, you know, and that most of the kind of absolute rubbish and so on is coming, I hesitate to, I don't want to just introduce, you know, an age thing, but I do think it's coming very often from people in particular kind of age and social milieu, you know, they're kind of often I mean, in case you'll know this, it's coming from people in the kind of lower levels of, well, the trade union bureaucracy who are of a certain age, you know, um, second wave feminist sort of age from the 70s and 80s and so on, rather than from young people. I know there are exceptions, but, you know, and if you look at the surveys, actually, most people are not transphobic. Most, most people are fairly open minded, you know, um, and, and so I think we have to kind of amplify that 
and and you know minimize the kind of negative stuff and i think the way we do that i'm sure all of us here in various ways are actually engaged in sort of raise trying to raise awareness i mean i i kind of go into universities with some organizations and you know, for social work training, I, I do I do sessions on trans and, and, and non-binary and so on, just to kind of, you know, say to people, look, if you don't know a trans person now, you will do, you will have clients, you know, you will have work work colleagues, you know, you, you need to be aware of this, of this, this kind of these arguments and this stuff that's coming up. So I think the awareness stuff, um, and I think actually things like Reclaim Pride today. Is, is brilliant because prides actually should be about protesting and solidarity and not just about having a good time. I'm, I'm all for having a good time, you know, but actually, come on, look at the state of things. Things have gone backwards in all sorts of parts of the world, you know, in the US, in Hungary, in Poland, in Russia, you know, parts of Africa, parts of the Far East, you know, we, and we should be giving solidarity to those people who are organizing and struggling, you know, in, in those countries. Um, I think some places have started trans prides haven't they we've got one in leeds unfortunately we haven't been able to have a trans pride physically for two years now but you know when, when we can and when we do they, they it's much angrier and younger and more colorful and militant you know than than the pride in leeds is i don't know what it's like elsewhere but that that's my impression um some of us organized in leeds we organized a um a protest over the of the gra consultation and and you know that was in the middle of the lockdown they had to always socially distance and everything but you know we had 100 people turn up over 100 who we had an open mic really moving stuff you know that people were saying and it, it gave people a sense of collectivity you know and, and potential to kind of resist and obviously in our trade unions and i know you know it's 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 probably you know your union um, Bonnie and Casey is probably the worst, uh, I suspect, because um, all the issues about safeguarding and so on, alleged safeguarding issues come up. But I think it's being dealt with by, you know, by good people in the union. And I do think what you said, Vonnie, is right. I think you are winning. Um, it's coming up in other unions as well. And I think we have to be on our guard um, to, to, you know, to take it on uh, there. And overall, I think we've also got to be part of the general building a general fight back. Because the truth of it is, you know, I've finished kind of on this really, but the truth of it is that if you're stood in a meeting or, you know, on, on a picket line with, with somebody, you don't start with arguing about <laughs> what do they think about trans rights or what do they think about whatever. You start with understanding what you're doing there, who the enemy is, why you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them. And it kind of, it, it minimizes the space available to introduce those destructive kind of dis differences that people might think exist and and it you know it makes it more likely that you understand that you've got a common common enemy and that a victory for one group is also a victory for other groups yeah definitely it's it's part of that to me it's all part of that keeping us divided my and i'm, I'm going to bring casey in because i know she's got something to say but it's about we need to build a cross as well, we all need to support each other and that's how we get the numbers and that's how we get the support and that's how we change things. Yeah, I'm just going to go to Casey and then I'm going to go to Kane because I know we're running out of time. <laughs> You're on mute, Casey. Oh, do you know what? I, I literally just mute, I unmuted myself, not muted. I must have been on <laughs> non-mute, idiot. Um, I think, yes, like you can win people round. Like, um, with 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 discussion, like I, I have done it. You know, I had somebody from one of the union pages message me, 
um, and and it took about ninety texts, <laughs> Facebook messages between the two of us, where she was worried about something, and I gave her. I said, "Well, it's more like this," and but we had like a long to and fro. We're Facebook friends now. The one thing that she couldn't get her head, head around was the word sis. I was like, "Well, fine. If that if that's the only thing that you, you don't want to be known as sis, then we'll leave we'll leave it there for now. I don't know how they feel about it now, but we're Facebook friends now, and you know, so it can be done." But actually, nine times out of 10, it doesn't work. You know, you can kind of spend so much energy and time going through trying to present arguments to people and they don't listen. And it is draining. Like it is draining for trans and non-binary people to do that because, you know, you're opening your Facebook feed and you're seeing stuff and it hurts you. But also social media is like a space of solidarity and kind of strength and support. So it's a kind of it's a double edged thing, like it's support and it's toxic at the same time. And I think you know, how, how do we win those debates? You know, I think we do, we just win the debates by, by sharing the positivity, I guess, by being visible, by being out there, by, you know, thing, things like disclosure, I think is amazing. Um, you know, when people watch that and then we think, well, where does the transphobia come from? It's so clear, like, you know, I'm sure like, it's as if, saying like as if trans people don't have their own transphobia. I was incredibly transphobic. That's why it took me years and years and years to come out. Like it wasn't that I was just magically trans, you know, and then like somebody waved a wand over me and then all of a sudden I was like, I'm, I'm a woman now. You know, it doesn't happen like that. You fight it for like 35, 40 years before, before you can own it in yourself. And like, you know, that's how hard it is. You can't make somebody not trans and you can't make somebody trans. You can't turn a cis kid into a trans kid. I think, um, you know, what, like I've watched a Storyville documentary last night um, called um, Petit Fee, I think, like Little Girl in French, and it's a French documentary film about a little trans kid. Um, I don't know, I don't know my feelings about it. I thought it might be a little bit invasive. I don't know who made it, but actually it was, it was so moving and sad, actually, to see this little girl who from the age that she was two, two and a half, like her parents couldn't even remember that she had always insisted she was a girl. Like there was no, you know, she, that's just who she is. And you, and they, and her parents didn't, you know, they didn't plan that. They didn't like, they didn't trans her. You know, if anything, they would have like wanted her to be not, to be normal, you know, but that's not, you can't do that. But seeing, seeing that kind of transphobia with her, and you know, going to a ballet lesson that she gets, she she went to as a boy, and you know, it was absolutely. I, I don't want to plot spoil it. But I suppose I have to now. But she wasn't allowed at the end after she transitioned. She wasn't allowed to, to carry on in her ballet class because the ballet teacher said no and pushed her out the door, crying in front of the other parents. You didn't see that on the film, but that was recounted. And seeing how her school. You know, the head teacher at the school refused to let us socially transition and seeing like it's a very intimate film and documentary. And you see that child so close like with her with her parents and her, and her brothers and sisters. She's got two brothers, you know, a sister who doesn't see particularly gender non gender conforming. You know, she's not a sister's not like a really dolly girly girl or anything like that. They're just a kind of normal family of normal people. And, you know, I think that's that's the kind of. Where's the media attention for that film? You know, it wasn't reviewed barely in any of the newspapers. Like I did, I only found it by mistake and I thought, oh, is this one of the old ones again? And I think it, it is about trans kids. Like, you know, let we any teacher probably will have a trans or non-binary kid in their class. You know, 
are they stereotypes? No, they're not. <laughs> they're just not. They're, they're, you know, meet one trans kid, you've met one trans kid. They're all completely different. They're not stereotypes. They're not gender stereotypes, you know, the way they, the way they present or conform. And that, that's the kind of, that's what we do really, you know, just kind of let people see that trans people and trans kids particularly are just normal people. And, you know, I, it, that, that, that I think is where, where we need to fight is really for trans and non-binary children, because I think it's absolutely shocking and appalling. Um, I've got a friend who's writing a PhD. She's a, she's, oh, sorry, they recently come out as non-binary, so I've just misgendered them. They, um, their child, you know, they, they, they've supported their child through years and now they're doing a PhD and their research is absolutely appalling. The kind of stuff that that's goes on at the Tavistock Clinic, you know, they've interviewed lots of parents of trans and non-binary kids and the kind of questions that they've been put through by the clinicians at the Tavistock is just outrageous and disgusting. And, you know, the kind of the treatment that they've had at school, that, that, that the parents have kind of fed back for their research. Like the, these, these are the stories that just won't get picked up. But this is this is the reality. You know, if, if, if anybody knows a trans kid, like I said, you, you don't the, the kind of the myth is that parents just transing their kids. That's not the reality. You know, nine times out of 10, in my experience of parents of trans kids, the parents are, aren't accepting of their kid at first. They don't want their kids to be trans because they because they're transphobic. You know, even even inside. You know, they, they might be saying, oh, well, I don't mind trans people, but it's like, but, but not my child. You know, that's the kind of gut reaction that most parents have when, when a kid says they're trans. You know, they try and for them not to be. So, yeah, I've got a bit emotional there. But, yeah, I think that that's when, when people see young trans people just being themselves and kind of being free to kind of just express themselves, not worrying about whether they're going to, you know, what, what if they turn around tomorrow and say that they're not trans anymore? Then it's like, so what? It doesn't just doesn't matter. There's no consequences to it. But yeah, sorry. Well, don't apologise, Kate. You really don't. <laughs> no, um, I've done enough work in the union with you. And I, I remember last year when you introduced me to the, the work of Kashenga. And I was like, that is that was just so interesting when we were doing all when we were organizing that decolonization of gender stuff. It was just really, really interesting. I know Kane put their hand up and I know we've gone totally over your time, Kane. I'm so sorry, but it's so interesting. <laughs> you just covered a lot of the things that I wanted to say anyway. I think that, that's brilliant. But I just wanted to pick up very briefly on the generational aspect you were talking about, um, because I think that's uh, something worth, worth, worth thinking about, about what and why um, that seems to be happening. Uh, and what I see, just me, uh, I see a generation who are fucked, um, economically fucked, uh, will never own property, uh, the economy is much worse, lifetime earnings are much worse, uh, minimum wage is much lower, real-time earning, real-time earning, shit, uh, gig economy exploding, uh, working workplace rights being revoked. Uh, and young people, I think, understand that they understand uh, the systemic racism which is going on. They understand the systemic transphobia uh, for not 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 broadly, um, but but increasingly. And I think a large part of that is social media. It has enabled uh, stories to be heard which would not have been otherwise heard. And I think that there is a norm arising of believe marginalized people, listen to marginalized voices, take that as your default rather than take your default from what everyone else is telling you. 
And I think that that is a really massive shift that we need to capitalize on. The problem, as I see it, is you already said the trans community is very small and everywhere, in fact, uh, uh, that, that, that is true. That's always going to be true. So I think something that's really important to remember is that we talk about intersectionality a lot uh, uh, with a slight assumption of being on the receiving end. I think it's really important to also make sure that as trans people, we are advocating uh, for abortion rights. We are ad advocating to end systemic racism. We are advocating to deal with climate change. So that is the other key ticking clock, which I think has changed a lot of people's perspectives. Uh, I expect to be alive for collapse of our world, quite frankly, um, that, that, that is fact. Uh, and anything which doesn't account for that and have a solution for that is not worth my time politically. Uh, and I think that that little ticking clock in the back of society, realize that all of this starting to eat itself and it's starting to feel the consequences of eating itself. And it's gonna keep sowing and it's gonna keep reaping until it completely eats itself unless someone does something. And that's something that, that something has got to be a lot. It's got to be justice. It's got to be climate. It's got to be everything. It's got to be everything. And the who has got to be kind of everything. And <laughs> leave my remarks there. <laughs> Does anyone have anything to say as a kind of closing remark? I'm just blown away. I'm, I've learned so much just from listening to you, to you guys. It's just, it's... It's just nice to hear real voices. And I know that so it comes, it, it, it's been so, we've had some lovely comments. Um, you know, I, I, I do I, I do what, you know, I, I'm normally there watching the comments and kind of making comments and things like that. And I know it's overwhelmingly positive, positive whatever we do. But yeah, so thank you so much. Does anyone have anything that they would like to add? Thank you. Just, just to add one thing, because there was there was questions about why do trans women get a lot of the brunt, and I think and and whether or you know, and is it misogyny? And I think, yeah, like that's it's a lot of misogyny. But again, like actually, trans the prob the problem with the way that trans men are treated is they're just they're just invisibilized, <laughs> they're just they're just erased, and you know, they've always been around, but like there's always there's more, there's far more stories and things like that about about. Um, trans women and kind of figures in the past and kind of, you know, I don't know why necessarily that is, but I think um, in, in terms of kind of, in terms of the misogyny though, like with, with trans men, it becomes about erasing lesbians and it kind of becomes mm. another sort of form of misogyny because it, it, you know, it's as though like a, a gay man, I mean, not, not that necessarily gay men transition to become trans women, but you know, gay men who would who would transition like oh yeah that's fine but like a gay woman who is then saying actually I'm, I'm kind of realizing that I'm not a gay woman I'm a trans man then it's like no you don't know your mind so it's again another kind of misogyny really and I think you know it, it, it doesn't help the the, the, the the hidden side of trans men hasn't helped because trans women are made hyper visible and they made if you watch disclosure again that kind of hyper visibility we can understand that like trans women are kind of sexualized in in like uncomfortable ways which leads to kind of massive amounts of um sexual violence again against them disproportionately um particularly with, with black trans women that's that's those levels are, are atrocious because then you kind of mix in with, with the intersectionality all of the kind of 
um, the poverty and the kind of opportunities and those kind of things come into play as well. But with, with trans men, they don't have that. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, it, it's just not helped. That's just not helped the kind of the case for trans men because, and perhaps, perhaps again, because trans men can kind of blend in a lot easier. You know, again, they're, they're, they're sort of less visible because they're less visible. There's a visibility with trans women that you can't, you can't avoid, you know, you, it's harder, it's harder to transition from male to female than it is from female to male, like a couple of years of testosterone. And that, and that's like, you know, you, you can kind of, you can be stealth as the, as a phrase, which I find a very difficult word, you know, like, I don't kind of feel like I ever want to be stealth, but that was, that was used to be my dream that I could just disappear and just be like a normal woman and nobody would ever know my terrible, shameful secret, you know, but actually that's not necessarily so easy for trans women to do, but it is possible for trans men to do. So, you know, so I think it, I think it's absolutely misogyny that trans women get a lot of it. Like, because again, it's, it's intersections, isn't it? It's like trans, trans women are less women than, than white, than um, cis women and white trans women, black trans women are worse and kind of push down the hierarchy than white trans women. And, and that's kind of how it goes. Like people, people kind of want to seem to want to push down and kick down, which is sad really. Yeah, that, that's, that's very, very true. I think it's worth noting the extent to which uh, trans men are on the receiving end of misogyny as a result of uh, how people see them, the way in which they are infantilized being, being incredibly related to that. Laura, if you've got one, you've got about 10 seconds. I'm aware Kane's put in the chat, <laughs> chat that they do need to I, go. I, yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree with that. I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a particular kind of trans misogyny, um, you know, directed at, at trans, <clears throat> excuse me, at trans women, which is, is all about, it, it is about the whole kind of, you know, misogynistic feminization or feminizing of men and the outrage that some people feel about why would, some men want to do that, you know, to feminize themselves as, 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 trans, as trans women, as the transphobes see it. And that I think is reflected in the truly horrific ways in which some assaults are carried out and the things that are said as well, but some assaults and murders are carried out of trans women, which are particularly, you know, really quite just gross. Um, and it's, it is, it's kind of this outrage that why would you, why would you want to cross that boundary you know, as they see it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with what, what both Kane and, and, and Casey have, 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 kind of, have kind of said as well. Oh, thank you. I think, I think the point we're driving towards is that now is no longer the time for compromise. No, I think so. I agree I, with that, absolutely. Transgender <laughs> resistance. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I, thank you so much um, for coming on and just talking. talking and just talking to our viewers and talking to me, I just feel so privileged and thank you so much. And I think- oh, it's not like being in the pub again. Honestly, I've needed it. Uh, well, hopefully we <laughs> will meet up right. one day in a pub. Casey and I are aiming for it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much because I know you have to book in. Paul, we're going to have to wrap up now. You're the technical man and know how to press buttons and stuff. <laughs> Keep the red flag flying here